What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. G'day and welcome to the Ball Boys Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Today we are back with our first video of the off-season talking about learnings from this fantasy season, what we can take away and apply to next year. Let's go! Open! Chicago with the lead! Bryant! Not a game, not a game, not a game. We talking about practice. LeBron James with no record! G'day and welcome again to the Ball Boys Fantasy Basketball Podcast. About to say AFL there, but talking fantasy basketball for the first time in a little while. Again, apologies for the lack of content of the last couple of months. Um, if you haven't already any one explanation for where I've been, what I've been doing, just go and check out the channel update video or the podcast update video on your podcast feed. But today, we're going to be starting our off-season series. I'm hoping to get at least one video out a week uh, when we get closer to drafts, uh, like the draft day, NBA draft. We'll do a couple of more and also doing some dynasty rankings and content throughout the off-season. And when we get closer to the preseason, we'll start to ramp it back up. But today, just going to reflect on the season that was, the 22-23 season, and um, discuss some things that we can take away and apply for next preseason when we're doing our drafts again, when we're going into the next fantasy basketball season, talking trades, buy lows, waiver wires, and just some things that First of all, that I learned and I'm going to take away into my projections and ballboysnba.com, but also things that you can take away when it comes to you doing your drafts and uh, hopefully winning your leagues in the future. So to kick it off, the first thing that we're going to be talking about is injury-prone players. Now, this was all a big topic last season, um, especially when it came to players and shutdown risks. We had the Wembenyama sweepstakes this season, and these things will continue to happen. A lot of bad teams at the start of the season will get talks of um, you know tanking and shutdown risks. I know SGA, Shea Gildas-Alexander was a big um, guy when it came to this. When we started the season, if I have a look at his ranking, and now I know he did have a knee injury, but in the preseason, if I I have my data here, um, he was getting discounted far too much. Um, where was he? So he, in the Yahoo rankings, was ranked 47th by the time the season came around. Now, again, I know he had that MCL sprain and was expected to miss a chunk of the season at the start, but he did come back early. But 
even at ranked 47, it was much too big of a discount. Even prior to that injury, he was being taken in the late third, early fourth round of drafts. And obviously he came out and put up an awesome season ranking third in the overall rankings. So he's an example of being discounted too much for the injury prone label, the shut down risk, um, and we push back on that at the start of the season. So I hope that this example is something that we can use in the future when people throw up shutdown risk and things like that. Sometimes it does come true, but sometimes it doesn't. And the payoff can be huge, especially in a player like Shea Gildas-Alexander, where he has enormous potential. And we did highlight that in the preseason. Um, some more examples. Anthony Davis um, was fifth per game in the rankings. He played 55 games after missing a lot of time with just one injury. So um, played probably more than we expected. Jimmy Butler was 10th per game and he played 64 games. He was going in the third, sometimes the fourth round, discounted because of injury. Kyrie Irving played 60 games, was ninth per game, had that sort of stuff at the start of the year, but then came good. Jaron Jackson Jr. was going very late. Now, he actually had an injury going into the season, so a little bit of a different story, but was 13th per game and played 63 games. Kristaps Porzingis was 14th per game, played 65 games. So now all of those players missed games. But if we have a look at the top 30 players, the average amount of games played was 66.8. So 67 games, an average of 15 games missed. So in modern NBA talk, the best players just miss games all of the time. So I think those guys that are historically labeled injury prone, the the risk and the downside of those guys compared to the average of the NBA, the gap is a lot smaller. So I think we need to stop giving these guys as much of a discount as we have in the past. So players like Jimmy Butler, we discounted him in the rankings in our preseason too much uh, upon reflection. So those kind of a guys, I think we need to give a little bit more of a benefit of doubt. There's always going to be exception and luck will always play a part in fantasy basketball, especially in head-to-head leagues. It's hard enough to predict injuries and whether or not they will happen. It's it's impossible to predict when those injuries will happen. So for example, in um, the, uh, I think it was the, was it the locked on? No, sorry, the FBI Fantasy Basketball World Cup. I drafted a Tyrese Halliburton. Looked to be a ripper pick. Was very happy with it. The first week of the playoffs, which was much earlier than most standard leagues, he was out for the entire week. I think I also was missing Chris Paul at the time. Basically did me in and um, wasn't able to advance in that league. He only missed you know, like four games or five games, but it just happened to be the week that I needed him and it was too much for me to come back from. So chalk that one down to luck. He came back the next week and for those of you guys had that regular playoffs, he was fine. He was there, but just for that particular um, league, it it was enough to do me in. So luck is always going to play a part. It's the unfortunate truth when it comes to -to head-to-head leagues. Um, but even in roto leagues, they're probably better equipped to deal with that. But it's just the the price you pay for that head to hat format, which I still do really enjoy. But we have to acknowledge that 
you know, luck and injuries always play a massive part in who wins. So just wanted to discuss those injury-prone players and remember that when we start to talk about players next year because no doubt we will. No doubt we'll start to talk about those guys, Zion Williamson, all those kind of players that have missed a lot of time. And there are instances when it's a repeat injury, someone who's got a chronic issue that we do need to discount a little bit, but maybe less than what we've done in the past. So that's my first talking point. Um, Again, sorry, apologies for the guys watching on YouTube. There will be less graphics today. We will be working on some graphics in the future, but hopefully the new set is, um, you know, at least visually (laughs) stimulating for you guys. But let's move on. We're talking about rankings. Now, the second learning point here is that rankings matter, but understanding rankings matter more. Okay, so what I mean by that is if we look at the nine category rankings, which a lot of these websites go off, like Yahoo, Fantrax, ESPN, you'll notice that uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, as an example, is ranked uh, 108th in nine category rankings. Now, if you picked him at second or third in your fantasy drafts, you might think that what a waste of a pick, but understanding the rankings is much more important. So if you Punt free throw percentage, which was always the recommendation for a Giannis, he comes out as 10th in that um, punt build. So, look, it's a slight disappointment on what we expected for him this year, but it's still a huge difference between his nine-category ranking and his punt ranking. So, understanding your team build and understanding how to value a player in the categories that you're looking for is extremely important. So I think that that is something that we need to pay attention to as well. So um, if we look at another example here, um, what am I looking at here? Where did I have it? So if we look at another example here, um, you know, the example of blocks and steals. So the other thing I wanted to highlight there is understanding the rankings and looking at like players like Jaron Jackson Jr., Brooke Lopez, both of them average you know, 3 and 2.5 blocks, respectively. That is something that I think that we can um, have a look at and we can discuss the impact of those, um, those categories and the effects that it has on the rankings. So, for example, at 13, we've got Jaron Jackson... Sorry, at 12, we've got Jaron Jackson Jr. who averaged three blocks. But if you look at the rest of his categories, 18.5 points, 1.63s, less than seven rebounds, only one assist, one steal. He did have an efficient shooting. So he's got value, but it might not be if you compare the other categories to the other guys around him. He's far less impactful in a lot of other areas. But those blocks are so, so valuable. It boosts him up much higher than other players. So players like Miles Turner, Brooke Lopez... Um, Nicholas Claxton, some of these guys that appear extremely high in the rankings, they're boosted by a single category. That's a low volume category. We talked about this in the past, the over inflation of categories like blocks and steals, um, which can change their rankings completely. So for example, if you're punting that category or if you're doing something a little bit different and maybe um, doing a half weighting or something like that, you might be able to get a true indication of their value to your team 
on the flip side, if you want to be competitive in those categories, those guys have a huge swing in uh, being competitive in that category. So you need to target them maybe a little bit more aggressively. So understanding the value and what um, each category represents to their overall value is extremely important. So remember that the rankings will take everything weighted equally. If we're constructing a head-to-head team with punting strategies involved and all those kind of things, we also want to maybe change the weighting on some of those categories depending on what you're looking to do with your team. So, you know, and, and I fall into the trap as well. Like when we went onto ballboysnba.com and you had the season guide, like I put a rankings out, but I think the more important thing for us to be on top of is the projections, which will be coming this year for the ballboysnba.com. Uh, the season guide, and also just the narrative and the story behind why you're selecting those players. So in that in that season guide, I, I write a, a blurb and sort of a description on what we can expect from the players coming this season. I think understanding that is probably more important in terms of where we quote-unquote rank the players. And if you're going to draft off a rankings list and you're just going to strictly follow the best ranked player on that list, most of the times that's going to cause you to lose your league. So being on top of understanding why a person is ranked where they are is extremely important. Um, The next thing that I want to look at here is age profile. Now, I am definitely guilty of this. So this is a learning of for me, but generally, we're probably too quick to bump up the young players and too um, quick to bump down the older players. So an example like this is players like Scotty Barnes, Shangoon, Josh Giddy, Jabari Smith Jr. I was probably a bit too high on getting a bit ahead of myself and bumping them up our rankings. It's obviously very exciting to get these guys up the rankings. They're up-and-coming talent. A lot of the times they improve as the season goes on and their second halves are better than their first half, which is still probably accurate. Um, but Scotty Barnes being 82nd, Shangoon 85th, Giddy 112th, uh, Jabari Smith 144th. These guys were all ranked a lot higher on my projections. Um, and players like... Mike Conley, Tobias Harris, who I was very much anti against. Brooke Lopez were, although Brooke Lopez, no one predicted what he was going to do, were all down my list a bit too much because of the discount that I was giving them because of their age and expected regression. Now, you have seen in the past some guys completely fall off the map and there is risk to that. So I still stand by the fact that we want to discount these older players because of the fact that they might see a change in role. So the risk with like a Mike Conley, for example, is that when he was traded from another team, he might see himself uh, find himself in like a reserve role or a lower minutes role. And obviously the trade that happened at the deadline or prior to the deadline um, meant that he kept starting and kept playing in minutes in the high 20s, which was good and potentially lucky for a player like that. But for the most part, I think that Maybe I'm a little bit too aggressive in um, discounting those players and too aggressive in bumping up the younger players. So something that we need to keep an eye on and maybe not get too ahead of ourselves, like uh, players like Anthony Edwards, Cade Cunningham, who were entering second rounds of drafts last year, especially the top end and the pointy end of those drafts, is quite difficult to break into that elite level of, of fantasy contribution. So just be aware and mindful for those kind of players that uh, are maybe getting overhyped because they are the exciting young up-and-coming guys. Um, and uh, the Dan Bresperus model, shout out to you, uh, Dan Bresperus, of picking off those young guys at value still has some validity to it, in my opinion. Um, and it maybe especially guys who are in the same situation, the same team, and they're just getting older and more experienced, as in the young guys, maybe we discount a little bit 
uh, less than we have been in the past. But guys who are in new situations, so players like a Mikael Bridges obviously changed teams, uh, players who are young and up-and-coming like a Tyrese Halliburton, he's obviously a guy that went from a player you know, ranked 50th to a top uh, 10 ranked guy. So he's changed situations. I think those are probably more important for us to be on top of than simply a player just getting better in the same situation. So that is learning point number three. Um, learning, uh, learning point number four here is a very specific one that I definitely fell into the trap of, and that is sometimes trusting the eye test a little bit more. And I'm specifically talking about Ben Simmons. Now, Ben Simmons was a player that I was probably, I, I definitely was wrong on. I think I had him ranked in the 50s um, just because I, well, I liked the stat set in terms of like the numbers that he puts up and what he can do in terms of the uniqueness of his numbers, being a good field goal percentage guy, being a guy that can give you good assists and steals and blocks uh, from a point guard position, still contribute in rebounds. But obviously, taking into account the eye test a little bit more on what we see in terms of the on-court product and putting a little bit more credence into that. So obviously, he's a guy that in the past, he's been known as like a, a you know fringe all-star, all-NBA all defensive uh, type player. So the expectation was that he'd get straight back to that. But the eye test for the last couple of years has been off. Obviously, he missed a lot of time in the last couple of years and has been under a lot of scrutiny and I, I think I've probably buried my head in the sand a little bit that pushed back on that little bit more but maybe being a little bit less stubborn in terms of what we've seen in the past numbers wise and viewing a little bit more what we've seen on the court in terms of the product so when a lot of the um, uh, the eye tests are signaling towards this guy maybe he's taking a step back and he's He's no longer contributing to winning basketball. He's he's someone that's not, um, you know, helping the team win. His role is maybe in danger, and there's a lot more risk in a in a pick like that than maybe I gave credit for. So Ben Simmons ranked 137th for the year, and someone who obviously his basketball career and trajectory is pointing very much down. I still hold out a little bit of hope, but obviously I've been wrong on that one in the past. So definitely need to make sure that we take into account the eye test and how someone's performing on court irrespective to their stats and their fantasy profile as well. So definitely a learning for me there. The fifth learning here is about changing teams and how or, or teams changing around players and how that can impact a player's output. So I've got a few examples here of players that I probably was maybe a little bit off on in the preseason and where we can adjust moving forward. So DeMontis Sabonis is a player that I was down on in the preseason and obviously had a great year this year. I must say, I, I did not expect to see his assists um, increase the way it did. I thought that moving to a Sacramento team, which had a Darren Fox you know, running the point guard position, I thought his assists would be the same, if not worse, but they actually improved probably due to Sacramento's faster pace and um, he played more efficient. He played in the role that he was that main facilitator for that team. So um, we have, we had a little bit of a sample size from the, you know, the post all-star break, the post trade deadline uh, period last year. Um, but obviously take into account the dip, the changes in coaching style that came over to that team in the off season, uh, different personnel. Obviously they'd made some moves in the off season as well to make that team a little bit faster. So Sabonis definitely benefited from that. Um, an example of Mikael Bridges. He's obviously gone from a team where he was the third or fourth option behind a Chris Paul, a Devin Booker, 
um, even behind someone like a DeAndre Ayton to a Brooklyn who where he's now the number one guy. I was sort of unsure about his role and whether or not the increase in um, usage would offset the increase in efficiency. Well, his efficiency pretty much remained unchanged and he did get that massive boost to um, usage. So his points, um, threes, all took a big jump up. So I think that in the most cases, players will be as efficient as they normally are. I think that sometimes does get a bit oversold. So if we see someone go from another number three or four option to a number one or two option, more often than that, more often than not, that is going to see them increase in value, um, especially if they already are an efficient player then that efficiency gets more weighting associated to it. So I think that in most cases, that's going to be a big increase in their value. So Mikael Bridges is a good learning for that. On the flip side, DeJounte Murray, we all expected him to take a drop back. He probably dropped back a little bit more than I thought um, in terms of obviously we knew that the assists were probably going to drop. They did drop a little bit. The steals were probably the biggest thing that we... um, Again, we talk about those small sample sizes. So he went from basically two steals a game to one and a half. Um, everything else was about in line to where I expected it to be. So in terms of like the projections, I don't think we were too far off. I sort of expected him to be sort of that back end of the second, start of the third round guy. He was more back end of the third, start of the fourth. So around probably too high. But again understanding the volatility of those low-volume stats like steals and blocks, we probably need to take a little bit of a discount with some of those stats there and understand that the effect, the effect that those have on his rankings. Because still 1.5 steals is very good in a category like that, but it's it's a lot worse than two steals per game. It's a uh, 25% decrease. So that's probably something more to do with a player like that. But yes, some people were taking him at the start of the second round because he was a first-rounder last year, but understanding how they're going to fit within that team. So you add him to like a Trey Young-led Atlanta Hawks. He's obviously going to take a hit in points and in um, assists, which we did see, but also probably adding in that discount for the steals is the lesson there. Um, Two players on the same team here, Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert. So obviously two guys who are playing the center position coming onto the same team. We definitely probably didn't discount both of these guys enough. Um, Carl Anthony Towns, I expected his assists to rise and his threes to rise, both of which did, but it wasn't enough to offset the drop in the big man stats that we saw. So um, Carl Anthony Towns at this season ranked 39th in the league per game, averaging 21, two threes, eight rebounds, five assists, uh, 0.7 steals, 0.6 blocks. I thought that they would be a little bit higher than that, but obviously there's a lot of criticisms behind um, how Minnesota worked with that two big man lineup, um, three turnovers there as well. So look, he still has value and obviously he's a very unique big man in terms of those threes and assists. So if you are punting, for example, a field goal percentage and a blocks category, his value definitely does rise. And especially in that um, in that build and, and positional scarcity of a... Uh, if I just... Let me actually just do that. Punt, field goal percentage, turnovers and blocks. Then a Carl Anthony Towns comes up to 29th per game. And he is the fourth ranked center in a build like that. So behind Jokic, behind Embiid... Um, Kristaps Porzingis and Carl Anthony Towns, who are neck and neck in that category. So still has value, but probably not the guy that we were hoping to get at the end of the first round, start of the second round. So 
probably understanding the impact of some of those categories that we're going to lost and applying that a bit more heavily. And the same with Rudy Gobert. So obviously coming over being the dominant big man, the only center on the Utah Jazz team where he was before, joining a team like Minnesota where they had those two center lineups. Um, didn't expect him to drop as much as he did, but obviously the huge reduction in blocks um, impacted him a lot. Obviously the blocks are his main thing. If I just look up what he actually did... In terms of those block numbers, where was he? I know he fell down. Sorry, I'm just looking this one up live on the recording. He dropped from last year, he averaged uh, 2.1 blocks, and this year averaged 1.4. So 0.7 blocks re- uh, reduction. Pretty much everything else, uh, the rebounds and the points also fell away. The field goal percentage dropped off a little bit as well. So went from the 23rd ranked player all the way down to the 58th ranked player. So again, still doing what he did in terms of those categories he's good at, but just everything dampened down a little bit. So, And when your value is concentrated in a few different categories, if those categories drop a little bit, you're going to see a fairly hefty reduction in value there. So probably a lesson there in terms of Rudy Gobert and how he uh, you know, went on with his uh, teammates there. <coughs> Excuse me, guys. Um, and then the last one here, Jalen Brunson, pretty similar to like that uh, Mikhail Bridges. He's gone from uh, a role where he was playing alongside Luka Doncic going into the New York Knicks. Now, I thought he would still be a little bit down in terms of usage, but obviously sometimes this is where, again, kind of molding the eye test and the first point was um, he's someone that I think is probably one of the better players on New York, and New York recognized that, so he saw an increase to his points, threes, and assists all and again, similar to Mikhail Bridges, the efficiency was still pretty much the same as where he left off. So I think a uh, mini lesson in all of this as well is when a t- player t- changes teams, efficiency is probably the last thing that we see change in terms of a player's way of scoring. They're usually going to do what they have done in the past and they usually will do it as efficiently as they've done in the past. There might be some small changes here and there, but I think maybe overselling that change in efficiency is something that we've done in the past. So try not to do that too much. The last point here, last learning uh, for today's podcast is trade rumors at the beginning of the season. And they're just that. They're just rumors. So some come true, some don't. Obviously, Kevin Durant was in the rumor mill the whole lot at the start of the season. He did get traded at the uh, be- or before the trade deadline over to Phoenix, didn't obviously change his value too much, although injuries held him back a lot. But players like Miles Turner, Buddy Heald, Clint Capella, DeAndre Ayton, John Collins, a lot of them big guys, um, were all in the rumor mill at the start of the season and all maybe were discounted a little bit because of that. None of those guys got traded. So I think basing what we do on draft day on rumors and potential trades halfway down the season is is quite dangerous because so many things happen in, in an NBA season. Things change dramatically. Teams do better than we expected, worse than we expected, um, which changes the buyers and sellers at trade deadline. So I think not putting too much stock into those kind of rumors at the start of the year when we're drafting our players is something that we probably need to do. Now, again, there's always exceptions. Sometimes there's more smoke in other players than, than, than others. But, um, for example, like Miles Turner's been at the trade rumors for years and years now and is still on the Indiana Pacers. And it affects other players. So players like Isaiah Jackson, 
guys were bumped up the boards because we, you know, when there's a trade to Miles Turner, we can draft him and he's going to break out. So expecting those trades to happen, especially when the season is so long and you're holding a guy waiting for a trade, I think that that usually is a recipe for disaster. Um, so remember that at the, you know, the, the drafting time. You can take flyers, again, those last couple of picks, but anything after, you know, before the, you know, the last three rounds, I think that you're probably giving up too much uh, for that kind of a risk. So that will do it for us today, guys. Nice, short and sharp podcast, quick little half an hour. If you guys have any questions, drop them down below. Let us know what you've learned from your fantasy basketball season this year. Um, just to give you a preview of what's coming up, we're going to be starting the next podcast next week. We're going to talk about post-All-Star or post-trade deadline breakouts, what we can learn from the guys who maybe trade uh, changed positions or tra- changed teams, uh, players who have gotten more opportunity, some younger players maybe improving as the season went along, and what we can learn and take away into next season. Then we're going to start talking about dynasty rankings. I'm going to be doing a top 100 dynasty ranking series, so doing 25 uh, player blocks and going through all of my rankings for dynasty leagues coming up starting from this year. I will be including some uh, rookies coming up as well. And then we've got the draft stuff coming up. So I've got big boards, mock drafts, uh, mock lotteries, reactions and things like that as well coming up as well. So guys, uh, make sure you stay tuned in. Make sure if you haven't uh, before, hit the subscribe button. I know if some of you guys have jumped off ship, but uh, there will be lots of content in the off season as well. And hit the thumbs up button and we will see you guys next time. Laters. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.